0: When I was an Army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I try to take the questions people are asking and answer them uh, with the stuff that's rattling around inside my head. And from what I've learned along the way, and I'm glad you're here today. Uh, had some trouble getting episodes up last week, so thank you for your patience. And let's get to it. Every cycle brings us back to the Gospel of Mark. We've been Eastering like crazy, and the Easter readings in the church are focusing on the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus and some foreshadowing to the coming of the Holy Spirit. But, but after Easter and after Pentecost, we come back to the, the life of Jesus, the very real earthly life of Jesus. And here we have a family conflict. I don't know if you remember the first time that a close family member, a parent or a sibling said to you, you are an idiot. Or if you do that, you're foolish. And sometimes they say that because we are about to do something really foolish. and We are an idiot. And other times they say that when we're about to do something good. That's going to cost us something. It's going to be risky. It's going to maybe help us in the long term and guide our lives in a different path. But it's going to take us farther from them. All of us have experienced this on some level. But if you've had a supportive family in your life, um, it's kind of hard to understand how devastating this can be. And those of you that have had families that have resisted you and resisted your efforts to grow, to change, to do what you believe God wants you to do, you know the pain of this story. It's a pain that Jesus shares with us. He um, is there with these large crowds that have gathered, such large crowds. And there's so many people that they can't even eat. It's so strange to me how the Gospels report on crowds, crowd sizes. Uh, Throughout all of Jesus' life and ministry, pretty much from the beginning, there's these stories of these giant crowds, people coming out to listen to him talk, listen to him teach, and to be healed. Um, seems like there's, they're all there for their own reasons, just like every crowd. But there's definitely a movement afoot. There's definitely something big happening. And here we have this um, giant crowd. And Mark tells us that when Jesus' family heard about the crowd, They went out to restrain him. Um, The word restrain in the Greek here is the word to restrain, (laughs) to uh, stop somebody, to hold them back, to not let them move. Uh, They are staging an intervention on the life of Jesus. They feel like things have gotten out of hand. There are some really terrible ways of describing a family member that, does something different from the other family. C.S. Lewis observed that um, in the atheist family, when a child becomes a Christian, the same effect happens that happens in the Christian family when the child becomes atheist, that when we diverge from what we've been given or what we grew up in, there's always pushback. There's always an attempt to bring us back. And there's terms for this that are really awful. As I alluded to before, he went off the reservation. This is, of course, echoing back to the time in America where natives were Native Americans were not allowed to leave reservations. That was the whole point. It was like a large prison. If they left the reservation, they could be shot by the police or by the, the soldiers because they were definitely up to no good if they did that. Um, He's flown the coop, that might be a little more benign, not so, not so terrible. Um, but there's a number of phrases in English and probably other languages too, I don't know, for this effect when a family member goes a different direction. And the family is here coming to restrain Jesus. They are out in force. They are doing their duty. They are doing what they believe is right. Uh, they see what Jesus is doing as being dangerous, not just for him, but perhaps for others. This is serious. And they say he has gone out of his mind. Now, this is a, one of those Greek phrases or Greek concepts that um, does translate into English, but also doesn't. Um, this this idea of going out of his mind um, means to stand next to or to stand out of. So, it's almost like he's not himself anymore. He is standing out of uh, out of himself. Uh, the term is most often translated as amazement or as being astounded. Many times in the Gospels, people see a miracle of Jesus and they're astounded, and this is the word used to describe what they're feeling. He's out of his mind. He is disassociating from reality. He is no longer in the world that we live in he is delusional Um, we have a lot of ways of talking about this with people both clinically and just with really terrible ways of referring to people that are crazy people that are um, dangerous this family isn't thinking about that they're only thinking about themselves their reputation is on the line he is shaming them Shame functions in families in in a way that it doesn't function in other places. Um, shame has a power to keep people from doing good things and doing right things and from changing and growing. Uh, shame can keep you down on the farm, so to speak. Shame can immobilize you, paralyze you, keep you from experiencing things that uh, God is inviting you to experience. And all they can All they can think is that it is their responsibility to fix Jesus, and we do this too in the church today. Jesus' teachings are difficult; they're they're hard to understand. We don't always get them. They seem extremist sometimes, and yet uh, we don't stage an intervention with Jesus, or we shouldn't, and we often try. Jesus is fine. He's doing what God called him to do. You don't need to barge in here and fix things. And then Mark adds another layer of this. These scribes have come down from Jerusalem and said he has he has Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons, is giving him the power to cast out demons. Beelzebub, the lord of the flies. A pretty grisly depiction of this being from time immemorial that seeks to destroy the creatures of God, seeks to trick us and draw us away from love of God and neighbor. And so anything good that Jesus is doing, they say is done by this demonic power, that it, the good stuff he's doing is actually bad stuff. And Jesus, of course, answers these accusations. He lets the parents sit on the, on their issue. He doesn't... Um, Intervene with them, but he does talk to these scribes. The parents are going to come. The parents are coming back later. Don't worry. It's family. Right now he's dealing with the scribes. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, it cannot stand. A house divided itself cannot stand. This is what Lincoln quoted in the Civil War. And everybody who's been in an institutional conflict ever since, or a family conflict, knows that it is not the external Attacks that that hurt that that destroy families and people and communities. It is internal attacks on each other It is people that are the closest to each other that hate each other the most The closer we are to something the more we see ourselves in that thing or in that person and we react to that You've ever wondered why we have such strong reactions to some people, but not others um, this is the mystery of life. And part of it is is this idea that there is jealousy involved. The scribes are jealous. They see his power and they say, he shouldn't have all that power. We should have some of that. It's hard to know what's going on inside of their heads. But Jesus makes it clear that um, when you fight the evil powers of the world, when you Declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over all creation, not in a coercive way, but in the way that says we need more love in the world. The power of love is the only power that can ever make a difference that will matter. And when we stand up and say that as Christians, when we try to protect the weak and the vulnerable, people that have been abused and hurt um, by, by people all down through the history of our community, when we do that, we are standing up against the kingdom of Satan. The gates of hell are coming for us. And Jesus says that you cannot fight Satan with Satan. You cannot fight fire with fire. You cannot fight evil with evil. Every time our nation is faced with a challenge, we often tend to try to figure out what is the most evil way to fight this. And we find that we By using evil to fight evil, we become evil. We become turned in on ourselves. We become selfish and self-absorbed and self-obsessed so that we hurt other people. When we hurt other people and people hurt us, it's often not that they're trying to. It's that they're only thinking about themselves. And so Jesus is here to plunder Satan's house, to change the world forever, To make the power of love the only power that does anything in this world. While he's plundering this house, he's not working for Satan. He's working for the one true and only God. And then he says this morning to them that there's no forgiveness, no forgiveness if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying there is not that we can accidentally say a, a wrong magic word and suddenly end up in hell or something like that. What he is saying is that it is a really grave error and a grave sin to look at something good and say cynically, there's only one way that person could accomplish this, and that's through the power of Satan, or that's through the power of evil, or they must be evil. To look at something good and say, they're so successful in this goodness that they must be evil. Our cynicism is a powerful thing. It can take something good and turn it into something bad. So much of my experience in life has been struggling with this. How do I really see good things in the world and not let that voice in my head that's so cynical and say it's going to be over soon, there's going to be a scandal, an expose, it's going to be corrupt from the inside out. How do I maintain that when it comes to the kingdom of Jesus? How do I live in the kingdom of Jesus and say, I'm going to trust God to sort out the issues of where this power comes from. Because the ultimate sin, the ultimate blasphemy, according to Jesus, is to look at Jesus' ministry of forgiveness and love and healing and say, it can only be done through the power of evil. And then, while he's dropping this knowledge, this amazing teaching, this teaching that is that people have pondered for thousands of years of what is this unforgivable sin and house divided against itself cannot stand. His mother and brothers arrive and they're standing outside. And he sent, and they sent to him. They didn't even come in. They couldn't get in. It was so so crowded. And they send a messenger. And you can imagine the scene. It's almost like the scene at, when George W. Bush is in the elementary classroom and they come up and whisper in his ear. They come up and whisper in Jesus' ear and say, your mother and your brothers are outside. And Jesus stops and he looks around and he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And he looks around at the people that sat with him and says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. I love that phrase where he says he looks around at them. I mean, these are the people that are like right there sitting at Jesus' feet. These are his disciples. These are people who want to know more about who he is and what he's come to do. They want to usher in this new age of the Messiah, this new age of justice and peace and love. And while they're sitting there, he looks at them. And they're not the powerful people in the land. They're not the richest. They're not the most successful. They are the people that have been able to cut away from their normal life to go sit at the feet of a traveling teacher. And they're there. And he looks at them. He sees them. He sees the gold inside them. He sees the the beauty in them. He sees the joy and love that's in them. He sees the potential in them because they're all at different places in their journey. He looks at them. And jesus looks at us today wherever you are sitting or standing right now or walking or driving jesus is looking at you he's looking at you and saying you are my mother you are my brother you are my family member you have chosen to follow me and i'm going to be with you and i'm going to see you every single day this is what jesus is saying to those disciples then And this is what Jesus is saying to his followers now. What he's saying is following me, following Jesus, is worth it. It's worth all the rejection, all the shame, all the heartache. It's worth everything you're going to suffer. And you will. It's worth it all. And he demonstrates in his crucifixion, where the rubber meets the road. He demonstrates this kind of love. Where even while he cares for his mother by giving her to John to care for and shepherd and provide for, his family is there. He includes in his family on that last day of his earthly life the thief that is next to him, who turns to him and says, and turns to him and says, in repentance and faith, his statement of faith, that he trusts Jesus. And Jesus turns to him and he says, this day you will be with me in paradise. And so the thief on the cross, we don't even know his name. There's some ideas about what it might be. But this thief on the cross is included in this family. That the family of Jesus is not the people who are concerned about appearances. They are people that are concerned about who Jesus is and they want to follow him they know that in his life and death and resurrection there is the secret of all humanity the secret of all divinity the secret of, of the secret of the universe is c- encapsulated and captured and incarnated and enfleshed in this person that is standing before us today who are my mother and my brothers whoever does the will of god is my mother and my brother.